Hello, I'm Michael Brodeur, and welcome to Leaders Alliance. We are a global community of kingdom-minded leaders who are passionate about helping you become the world-changing leader that God created you to be. Join the conversation. Well, welcome everyone. I'm so glad to be back with you for another uh, Leaders Alliance podcast. And today I have some amazing friends coming on board, some people that I've just met recently, but they are the three guys on the Remnant Radio podcast. And they are heroes of mine. I've been able to watch a number of their uh, presentations and interviews with people. And they're dealing with some controversial issues. They're dealing with, you know, some of the dynamics in the charismatic movement, the balance between uh, word and spirit. I'm just so excited to have them come on in just a moment. But before we do, let me just introduce Leaders Alliance. If you're a first time viewer or listener, welcome. Uh, Leaders Alliance is a, a network of churches and other kinds of ministries that has come together to see transformation take place in the world around us. So we are a combination of, we're a community of kingdom-minded leaders who really want to see God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, we recognize, obviously, that that um, the church, the local church, is the foundation, is the pillar and ground of the truth. And so we want to support our local churches in a powerful way. But we also want to equip marketplace leaders and people in education, people who are influencing media, people who are influencing in various ways around the world. And so what we want to do is bring those two parties together, the local church with those whose primary ministry is outside the church, and see a symbiotic, dynamic relationship take place that will actually begin to really move the needle in our worlds around us. So in our cities, in our neighborhoods, in the lives of individuals, we want to see God's purposes established. And so that's what we're all about. But today we have an amazing time, I believe, planned for you, where um, we're going to actually talk in depth about where the church is at at this moment, what God is doing in the, the local churches around the nation, around the world. And we're going to be exploring the relationship between evangelical Christianity and the charismatic world and how those two work together. Because obviously, I believe strongly that it's not by might, but nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, that everything shall be established on the earth. At the same time, though, sometimes there's pretty unusual extremes that, that happen in the charismatic movement that we need to call back and bring into right alignment with the scripture. And so that's where we're going to go today. So um, can I invite my friends on board right now? Joshua Lewis, Michael Roundtree, Michael Miller. It's so good to have you on this podcast. I feel so honored because you guys are like, you know, one of the most thriving uh, examples of Christian podcasts in the world. And we're just a little neophyte beginners that are getting our, our feet wet here. But it's so great to have you guys on board. And why don't we just start? Because I don't know if all of our audience knows you. So just give a quick, like maybe two to three minute picture of who you are and how you guys, you know, got involved with each other. So, Josh, why don't you begin? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, so uh, my name is Joshua Lewis. Started Remnant Radio in 2017 uh, with a buddy of mine. Uh, we have grown the podcast. Uh, Michael Miller uh, up there uh, came on to the podcast in, uh, I think, 2019 to 2020. <clears throat> then Michael Roundtree came on. They'll help me with my dates if I get them wrong. Uh, and we just we do a podcast where we talk about history, theology, and the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, prior to starting the podcast, I had a classical Pentecostal background was raised in the Assemblies of God. Um, I 
through my junior high teen years was uh, at Heartland Church, which was a, the church that Steve Hill planted uh, after Brownsville uh, in Texas. Wow. So I, I grew up in Irving. Well, I grew up at the church in Irving. I lived in Fort Worth at the time. Uh, but yeah, uh, discipled in that community. Um, now don't find myself in a classical Pentecostal theological space, uh, but really from relationships really with Michael and Michael found that though I believed in all the gifts, I wasn't a practitioner of the gifts. Like tongues was mm. something that was accessible to us. Um, but prophecy was something for the, the man of power for the hour who'd blow in and blow up and blow out. And, uh, and they really pushed me in a lot of ways to pursue more of those things. Uh, and that they had specialized training in prophecy and other areas. Uh, that was a huge benefit to me and to the podcast in general. So, uh, that's probably a two-minute blooper reel of my life. No, that was, that was awesome. Michael Roundtree, go ahead. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I wasn't raised in the church. Got saved at 17. It was in a Pentecostal church. Uh, people speaking in, in tongues really loudly all around me. I was like, I had no idea what's going on. But somehow, in spite of that, the Holy Spirit saved me, uh, gave me new birth, and uh, started walking with God. It was a good church in terms of like the people really did love God. It was just disorderly. <clears throat> went off to college and went to a good Southern Baptist church, which was the other end of the spectrum. And uh, it really trained me in theology, trained me in evangelism and lots of other things. So I picked up some good things from it. And uh, to this day, now that I'm back on the charismatic side, I don't hold any animus toward the evangelical non-charismatic world. I think they have a lot to offer. In fact, I think charismatics can learn from that. Uh, but uh, where these two worlds really came together for me uh, was, uh, I guess it would be about 2004 when I met Jack Deere. Jack Deere, uh, was, you know, this Dallas Theological uh, Seminary educated guy. Uh, so a theologian, but a practitioner in the gifts, seen blind eyes open, helped people out of, or prayed for people who got out of wheelchairs, <laughs> helped them out, you know, and so on. <laughs> and uh, so he uh, he mentored me. I ended up coming on staff with him at a church in Fort Worth. It's actually where I came across uh, Michael Miller, but uh, was there at that church for 17 years. Uh, when Jack retired, I was a sen senior pastor of that church for 10 years. And uh, we really focused on word and spirit, came on Remnant Radio in 2020. And then um, recently, I have moved to Oklahoma City and uh, Sam Storms retired. So I uh, have stepped into his role as senior pastor of Bridgeway Church in Oklahoma City. Well, congratulations on that. That's a, those are big shoes to fill, but I know you're going to do a great job. So uh, Michael you. Miller, your thoughts? Yeah, yeah. Uh... I'm similar to Roundtree in a lot of ways, uh, with the exception of heritage. I grew up in a uh, with a Jewish I you were mother say heresy. and Mormon father. Yeah, except with <laughs> without all the heresy. Who's heresy? <laughs> Who's heresy? Okay. <laughs> yeah, so Jewish mother, Mormon father. Uh, you know, was I would say I was a proclaimed atheist at the age of seven, uh, and then somebody gave me a Bible when I was 15 years old. I used to I thought it was a book of ancient spells. And so I would literally hide it in my desk. I would wait for my family to go to bed. And when they would uh, go to sleep, I'd get out and I'd start reading it. And so I just started reading through the gospel of Matthew and found myself wanting to follow Christ, not even really knowing what that meant, not really understanding what the crucifixion was about or forgiveness of sins. I was as green as it came and uh, used to lie to my mom uh, because I wanted to go to church. And so I would tell her I was staying the night at a buddy's house on Saturday night to hang out with. really i just knew they went to church on sunday mornings so i would wow. go stay at that family um got discipled up in an organization called young life 
Uh, it's where I learned to memorize scripture and learn how to study the Bible. And then um, went off to college. Senior year of college, had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. I couldn't explain it theologically. I was in a cessationist form of Christianity at the time. And so I got my hands on Jack Deere's book. Uh, found myself, next thing I know, I'm at Wellspring Church with Michael Roundtree and Jack Deere. And Jack mentored uh, myself as well as Roundtree, took us through systematic <clears throat> theology, and then would throw us up on a stage to demonstrate the gifts whenever he did a con uh, conference. So it was trial by fire in a lot of ways. And then he would kind of critique us and help us grow and um, was a, a really great mentor. And then left in 2010 to go plant some churches. And so that's kind of where I'm at today. I'm in Denver, Colorado. I planted a church called Reclamation Church in 2020, right before COVID shut us down. And then we replanted that year. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, I was doing the, the Remnant Radio. And I, I guess I was a guest on the show in 2018 and then became a co-host in 2019. But when I left to go back to Denver, that's when uh, Michael Roundtree jumped in and became the, the co-host there. And, and then in 2021, I guess we had some fun. So Josh flew out to Denver and installed the camera in my basement. And I've been basement, basement boy ever since. So <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> well, um, yeah, you guys, you, you know a little bit of my story. I was actually raised in San Francisco by hippie parents. I came to the Lord while hitchhiking around the U.S. And then... Uh, and then uh, joined a Jesus People Movement uh, church that was planting churches. And they were based in Northern California. Uh, I went with them to San Francisco, back to my home city to plant with them in 1977. So I was with them for seven years and they were kind of borderline shepherding doctrine, Pentecostal mm -hmm. from yeah. an Assemblies of God background, but it kind of gotten you know out onto that side of things, which from some people's perspective was necessary when a bunch of hippies got saved have a little stronger discipleship dynamic. But anyway, so then uh, in 84, I met John Wimber and through, you know, and, and uh, within about six months, I planted a vineyard church in San Francisco that became one of the largest churches in the city, uh, in the history of the city. And um, so it was just, you know, partly it was Wimber, partly it was what God was doing at the moment, but we had just amazing seasons of outpouring and, uh, and uh, got, touched also by Toronto 10 years later. And, uh, you know, so I've been involved in some of the stuff that might be considered even a little bit more controversial. I worked for three years with Peter Wagner pretty closely. And, uh, you know, he got pegged with the NAR sort of uh, uh, issues and so forth. Um, but all my all the time, you know, kind of weaving through this, I've been focused on how do we do word and spirit together? And I know that's something that you guys have talked a lot about. And it's something that I know is a theme that uh, really we keep going back to. I know I work closely even with the guys in, in Catch the Fire still. And those guys are still hungering for that incredible blend of the two. Why don't you guys take a few minutes and just talk about that? You know, you guys can maybe just uh, dialogue with each other a little bit about your journey into understanding the relationship between those two, particularly with Jack Deere, because we all share him in common as well. He's been in our church a number of times in San Francisco. So, you know, why don't you guys take a few minutes and uh, maybe start, I'll start with a uh, round tree. Why don't you begin? And then we'll just kind of play that for a minute. I'm going to mute a little bit because I have this uh, air blower down outside. So <laughs> yeah, go ahead, okay. in there. Sure. Okay. 
Well, yeah, passion for Word of Spirit. I mean, you, you heard my story and kind of the background of it. Just because I started believing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit didn't mean I stopped loving the Bible. Uh, in yes. fact, it was love for Bi the Bible that led me to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And yet there were so few options of where to actually go to church. I mean, I sought and I strived to find a church. I mean, my wife and I, when we were searching for churches back in 04, before we came and found out Jack was in the area, we were doing two-a-days is what we call <laughs> is like two churches a day on Sunday mornings, like go to one in the early service, one of the late, trying, trying to find it. But it was always, it, it was always either very much just word theology, all of that, which we loved and appreciated, uh, but not much spirit or vice versa and a little charismatic crazy. <coughs> and so that the passion that started because of that early experience only has expanded over the course of time. Uh, and, and I would say because being, having been in the charismatic world now for almost two decades that I, I see it all the more and I see how dangerous the abuses are. And I actually understand why people become cessationists when they have these negative experiences, yeah. you know, manipulative prophecies and uh, people cheating and prophecy. And, uh, you know, the more power somebody has, the more that power can be abused. And these mm -hmm. gifts are powerful. Uh, but I just have a passion for helping us, uh, for ensuring that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because there is this thing called obedience to the Bible that we actually want, yeah. uh, want to adhere to. So uh, now as far as the Jack Deere component, uh, I think mentorship is just such a huge factor as to for Michael Miller and I and our growth to be able to have somebody seasoned who had uh, who would worked with John Wimber very closely on his staff. John Wimber was a spiritual father to him, somebody who, uh, who had such theological training, all of these things um, for him to teach us. And he would walk us through how you pray for healing, how you cast out demons, how you prophesy, what do you do when you miss and, and all the yeah. theology behind it, that was invaluable. And, uh, and I feel like uh, just what, what churches need right now is, they need more mentors in this. And I think that the problem is that's really hard to come by. We try to yes. do that some from a distance with Remnant Radio. We have an e-course in School of Ministry. Bridgeway Church is trying right. to do some things. I want to, we can save that for a future question if you want. But, um, sure. but really, I think Jack Deere's mentorship was really central. And my heart is to, uh, is to see more and more churches mentored in, particularly church leaders, elders, and senior pastors, in how to administer the gifts of the spirit in a church. That's awesome. Michael or Josh, you guys want to pipe up on this one? Yeah, you definitely muted, buddy. Underneath the, the screen, the screen under the bottom, there's like camera, microphone. You click that one. Okay. Uh, well, I'll go until Michael can figure out. You just, you keep okay. troubleshooting, buddy. Um, uh, but I'll, uh, I'll, I'll talk about word and spirit stuff. I, I think that, um, Part of this dynamic is that we're sinners, right? Yes. All of us are sinners. And you can have a deeply theological church uh, that's really perfectly exegeting, and there's going to be sin there. And you're going to have a really charismatic church, and there's going to be sin there. And it's going to be hard to hit that mark. Um, I think what we're contending for is saying, look, we're, we, we want to strive with everything in us to hit the model right. 
Um, and it's not like the model itself, word and spirit is going to usher in this massive utopia or this like perfect church or anything like that. The only thing that does that is Jesus. It's a work of the spirit. Our eyes are fixed on Christ. God does supernatural things. I mean, think of Spurgeon. This guy was a cessationist, but according to his biography, he saw more healings than any, he had, he had healed more people than any doctor in all of Europe and North America put together. And he was a cessationist. He was a man whose eyes were fixed on Jesus. So that's first and foremost. But but at the same time, we also see in the church the those who have a fascination with the supernatural, whether that's Colossians 2, you know, people going on about visions uh, puffed right. up by the sensuous mind, you know, going on about angels, worship of angels, um, you know, describing these kinds of secret mystic teachings that aren't aren't found in the text of scripture itself yeah. uh, and, and in Corinth, you know, not to go beyond what is written. Uh, Corinth yeah. seemed to have a, a kind of hyper charismatic disorderly sort of movement. And uh, you know, this is a thing that happens throughout human history. Those who right. desire the, the supernatural stuff can stumble. Sin can affect all of us in, in the same way that People who are passionate about doctrine can stumble into trying to control and to manipulate. The charismatic can also stumble into trying to get these experiences by other means and by other avenues. And we want to come in and say, hey, um, God's supernatural power is something that we want to grow in as a community. But we want to make sure that we're growing in that in a way that's biblically consistent we're trying to to make sure that jesus is the gate that we're going through um and we're not trying to enter in by another another way miller have you found a way to unmute that microphone because i'm about done with my rant let's see can you You guys got it okay (laughs) yeah it was on default and then suddenly i couldn't get the mute off and then i switched it to to my mic on the settings and so that worked uh, but cool. this is what happens when a, a non-techie tries to do a podcast. <laughs> um, okay, let me refresh the question. How is this word spirit journey? Obviously, part of mine is with Jack Deere as well. Um, yeah. So when I became a Christian, it was in a cessationist form of Christianity. And so when I was a senior in college, I was doing uh, ministry, young life ministry of a high school of around 3,000 students. And so wow. I was asking the question, you know, I would read Acts and see 3,000 or 4,000 come to believe in Jesus one day. And I'm going, well, why not at Bryan High School? And so that caused me to ask some questions about the gifts and about God's power and about the miraculous. And then I, I had what I would call a power encounter. And my biggest problem, though, was after I had that experience is I couldn't I couldn't handle the church churches that I would visit that were continuationist. Um, yes, they were mostly Pentecostal Pentecostal packages. You know, the way that they would talk, they would add an extra syllable to every word. There's a lot of like. <laughs> I, I realized today it's cultural, but at the time I thought it was very showy. And so yes. I didn't, I didn't like what I saw on TV. I didn't want to be that. Um, but I knew that there was a element of power and yet I was trying to wrap my head around how all that was working. And so, um, I started praying for the sick. I mean, if you had a pair of crutches, you might as well have had a bullseye on your back because <laughs> once I knew that power is for today, I prayed for everybody. And I, and so whether you, when I saw them healed, I just kept going after it, believing that this was, this is what the Lord does. And so, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't handle the packaging. And then somebody handed me Jack Deere's book, um, uh, surprised by the power of the spirit. When I read that, I immediately found every other piece of literature he had written, every blog ever written about him, anything I get my hands on. And I'd moved to Dallas to take a job with Young Life at the time and uh, was online looking for more web pages or more literature from Jack Deere, found a web page 
page for Wellspring Church in North Richmond Hills, Texas, where Jack Deere was the pastor. Now, when I when I read his books, I thought he lived in Montana. And this is actually the same story for Michael. Both of us did yeah. this. We both prayed that God would let us be discipled by someone like Jack Deere, having no yeah. idea that we were actually in proximity to him. And that would have been a possibility <laughs> for us. That's funny. And so I, I actually had more faith, Miller. I prayed that I would be mentored <laughs> by Jack Deere. Oh, yeah. See, I, I didn't. I just thought that was out of the question. Um, <laughs> I mean, I had no faith. I've never prayed that Jack Deere <laughs> would mentor me. It shows. That, it shows. That really is the faith scale right there. That's how you know how much faith. Yes, yeah. Exactly. Well, so um, Jack could speak my language. That was the thing yeah. is when I would go to these Pentecostal churches, uh, and, and no offense to them, I understand that, that they have their own heritage. But sure. there was a definition, uh, like a, a term definition discrepancy here. The way they would yes. talk about faith is different than I talked about faith. The way they yeah. would talk about the baptism of the Spirit was different than I talked about the baptism of the Spirit. The way they talked about the gift of tongues was different than the way I talked about the gift of tongues. Right. And so all of those uh, terms, they were so loaded in those environments that I found it very difficult to coexist there because I was looking through the scriptures and I'm like, I'm not coming to the same conclusions you guys are, but I totally believe in all of this stuff. And so yeah. Jack really was the one to help give me language to a lot of this and also remove a lot of the hype that I saw with it. Uh, he taught me to dial yeah. down and just kind of take a yeah. little survey of what I was seeing. And, um, yeah. and, and there was a lot of like feedback again, critique feedback. That was all normative. He would challenge our theology yes. and it wasn't yes. just the gifts. It's we learned doctrine. Uh, we went through and talked about penal substitutionary atonement. We talked about Calvinism versus Arminianism. We talked about, uh, I'm just trying to think, like how to prove that Jesus is God. I, I still remember very distinctly that day when Jack challenged Michael and I and a couple of others to prove using the scriptures that Jesus is God. Uh, and and so how, good. you know, the examples he had from trying to to have his students at Dallas Theological Seminary do that uh, and the struggles they had. And we're like, okay, we're getting a seminary education but we're also getting a, you know, thrown in the deep end on the gifts of the spirit, but in a way that's not, not in the package out there. And so I think for us, probably all of us on this podcast, um, we've always felt like a little bit of a fish out of water, like looking mm. for a tribe and not really finding one. And, you know, I was yeah. a part of a, a uber charismatic church where I really did feel like I had to check my head at the door um, yeah. to have a critique of a sermon doctrine. I always felt like I was seen as critical or had a religious spirit or something like that for, right, for having right. really strong opinions about these things. So, yeah. um, and I, I think doing the remnant has actually, uh, one, it's, it's helped me find a tribe of my own. Um, I didn't know there was others out there like us. And so it's been a real pleasant surprise. Yeah, and I'm, I'm actually so proud of you guys for the way that you've been able to walk that sort of razor's edge in a sense to, you know, be boldly affirming the gifts of the spirit and yet also, in a sense, insisting on a more uh, biblical and accountability. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so that to me, honestly, is what's attracted me to you guys. You know, I mean, my quick story is, you know, I was raised in the occult and with drugs and sex and alcohol and all that stuff. Um I came to the Lord actually hitchhiking around. I, I, I found myself being discipled on a Blackfoot Indian reservation. Now, this was with people that had very, they're almost illiterate, had no theological training, but they had had a personal visit of, visitation of Jesus in a bar when everybody in the bar saw him. Okay, so that was my initial exposure to, to Christianity. And then, you know, uh, going through a theological training after that time, but still in a Pentecostal structure. So not really knowing. And then uh, when I met Wimber, that's when everything changed for me. Because Wimber had, you know, I mean, a lot of our Pentecostalism was a lot of smoke and very little fire. 
Wimber was almost the opposite, a lot of fire and very little smoke. And so when we went to the first MC510, which was the uh, fuller class that he now took into a, a, a conference format uh, in I've read that book. Yeah. Yeah. We That's came a, home I mean, and, and God began to do the exact same stuff. And it was like there was an actual impartation that had occurred and we had never seen that before. And so we saw tremendous signs and wonders in the next season. But then, of course, there's ebbs and flows. And around the mid 90s, we were pretty tired. We had a, a meeting hall that sat, you know, twelve hundred people. But and we were still seeing some evidence of the Holy Spirit. But it was it was a challenge. You know, we were we were we'd gone through some personal spiritual warfare and we were doing, diff, you know, we we're going through a difficult time in our marriage. And when we heard about Toronto, we dropped everything and went up there. Okay. Now I know Toronto has been controversial as being more hyper charismatic, but we got so touched and so blessed. And then we came back and God started doing identical things. But, and this is the point I wanted to get to, is that after about 18 months of nightly meetings, which I know might shock you guys, but we did nightly meetings for 18 months, six nights a week. Um, and it was wonderful and it was awesome. But my heart began to have tension with the charismatic culture versus sort of translatable Christianity. And, uh, and so I kind of began to draw back from some of that stuff uh, and was drawn back for about three or four years. I mean, we we're still doing Wimber, you know, a third wave charismatic expression, and we were fully committed to it. But uh, finally, I had, a, I had an encounter with a friend where he said, you know what, you've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. And, uh, and I felt like I, I couldn't wrestle the, the, the charismatic craziness that we were experiencing at times with the, my own sense of biblical appropriateness. Okay. Mm -hmm. I want you guys to address this because you've studied some of this stuff, you know, going back 50 years, let's say to, you know, the Jesus movement period and the sort of the manifestation of the charismatic world. How do you see the evolution of charismatic reality over this course of time? And how do we find a place of balance in, um, in terms of allowing Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do and not necessarily shutting everything down once it gets a little crazy. On the other hand, how do we pastor Holy Spirit reality in a way that produces something that's biblical and actually transferable? Okay, so that's a big question, but you know, I want you guys to wrestle with that. Um, who wants to go first? Not me. <laughs> <laughs> I can go. It's fine. Um, sure. Yeah. You know, I, th I think with, with Azusa Street, it was just like, how do we even begin to think about what this is supposed to look like? And I, right. and I think that in those early days of Pentecostalism, I, I don't think anybody knew. And God was breaking out in power and these healing revivals and these evangelists getting these giant tents and, and so on. And uh, I, I think one of the things we learned was the importance of... Uh, character trumps gifts. It's a lesson the church yeah. has relearned over the over the course of history. Right. But you have to learn it on a whole new level when someone is reading your mail from a stage. You have to learn yes. it from a whole new level when someone's taking people out of wheelchairs, because you you just automatically think, oh my gosh, like this this is this person is a man of God, and then come to find out they're They've got all kinds of sideways stuff in the background and uh, or at least they do sometimes later, sometime later. And so 
uh, and so I think that's a that's a major thing that has happened. I think um, the that insistence on like that early Pentecostal insistence, like even equate, equating speaking in tongues with salvation, like yeah. like as though you have to speak in tongues to be saved. I think there was some there's been some sorting through of theology, uh, the overrealized eschatology that like if I have enough faith, it's always like. If somebody, or put it in the negative, if somebody doesn't get healed, it's because of sin or lack of faith. And those are like, right. It's right. maybe like an appreciation for the fact that, you know what, there is such a thing as mystery. And I feel like uh, Wimber, once it entered into the charismatic movement and Wimber stepping in, we started to see some more balance in that regard. But it was balanced in such a way where he was really making space for the power of the Holy Spirit. But, you know, even Wimber at the end of his life, you know, condemning Toronto, uh, at, at least in a way with the way, um, it, you know, Mike Bickle's church had to disfellowship from, uh, it, and there was that, that parting between uh, Wimber, the Wimbers and our, or John and John <laughs> Wimber and right. Arnott. And, and so I, I think that all of that represented this just wrestling over craziness and, mm -hmm word and and so I, I feel like we have some history behind us to help us appreciate that a little bit more yeah. and and know where to land i'm thankful that i mean i think if toronto broke out in my church i might have gone charismatic crazy <laughs> you know like i but now with the benefit of history i feel like i at least am a little bit better positioned to um and not just me but anyone at this juncture in history is a little better positioned to be able to think through how to process those things. Um, but it, you know, those, those are a few thoughts. I, I think what we're hitting yeah. right now at this exact juncture in history uh, with, you know, we've talked about new apostolic reformation. Uh, I think you right. mentioned that at the top of the show. Right. And yeah. uh, we just had this new statement released by uh, Michael Brown and Joseph Matera and, uh, and trying to draw this line in the sand and, and you have like the everything NAR is terrible and, you, you, you know, and on this side and and then every charismatic is kind of classified as NAR. And then you have this yeah, other side right. where it's like nothing is NAR and there's no no problem here. And so they're trying to yeah. hit this middle ground. But I, I feel like it's just a new expression of what Wimber called the radical middle. And um, yes. and so I just uh, I feel like we're we're at another one of those points in history and where charismatics have so, um, I, I think part of what we're hitting on the on the NAR thing is the issue theologically of authority of apostles yes. and prophets, yeah. and uh, and that's such a huge issue because it it can change the ecclesiology that has existed for two thousand years depending on how we parse that, and and I think that it, it goes all the way back to Azusa Street of like, how do we deal with all these new realities? And as history yeah. is played out, I feel like it just keeps coming back to this radical middle as you find extremes on both sides. So that's so good. Now let me, let me zero in and, and aim this for one of the other guys. Um, obviously new apostolic reformation is controversial and, and there's aspects of it. I agree with aspects. I don't. Okay. If we look at even the, um, you know, the, I'm, I'm very aligned with uh, Catch the Fire, and I, I honestly love these guys. Um, how, do we, how do we wrestle with the whole baby bathwater issue? Okay, and Josh, I think you mentioned it earlier, and I, maybe you can address this first. Because 
if you really do a deep study of all of the awakenings and revivals of history, all of them have had some crazy aspects. In fact, during the whole Toronto outpouring, I did an interview on our local radio station, the Salem station in town, and I brought one of my pastors who was getting his doctorate in spirituality. Okay, and he had already been at Ted's and Grudem was one of his mentors and so forth. And, you know, so he came on board and talked about a, he, a deep study that he had done into the first great awakening and how many of the manifestations were odd and, and uh, what Edwards and Whitfield had gotten in deep trouble as a result of some of the stuff that was going on. It seems like through history, there's always been a little bit of that edge on every revival. And even in scripture itself, the whole presupposition of Rome, of First Corinthians twelve, or let's say First John, believe not every spirit, but test the spirits, was a presupposition that that the activity of the Holy Spirit would happen first, and the judgment would happen in, in the aftermath. Talk about that a little bit. How do we? How do we? Because a lot of the preemptive. Um, decency and an order teaching tends to shut down the work of the Holy Spirit rather than allowing what happens and then pastoring it into health. Josh, you want to handle that? I mean, handle it. Uh, we'll see. Uh, I'll say that I'll say that my experience is probably very different than Michael and Michael's in that they they're they they had Pentecostal exposures and maybe they'll correct me on this. I was raised in Pentecostalism. Like it yeah. was normal for me as a 13 year old boy to go to church on Wednesday and see Steve putting his hand on people yelling fire and bodies just filling the altars. Like it's just, right, just and I right. say bodies, I mean like prostrate, like falling over. Right. Um, yeah. I remember being in a service. I was 17 years old and there was a, a young lady. We, it was either right after a conference. I think it was after a conference and she was spilling over into our Sunday morning service from the conference and she was laying down and she was like, not moaning, but like, like borderline screaming, like, ah, but like real loud. Right. But it was not, it was not worship. It was not ministry time of any kind. It was like the guy was preaching, you know? And, and I remember being 17 and going like looking around and no one was moving to action. And I was going, is it me? Am I the guy? Am I going to be the guy? Like, is that okay? I guess I'm the guy. And I like, I, yeah. I kind of get on the ground next to her. I whisper in her ear and I said, Hey, you know, uh, God's using this man to minister right now. And I'm sure God's ministering to you. But what you're doing is actually being a distraction from what God's doing over here. You know, I just ask you to, you know, let the Lord minister to you a little bit more quietly. She had no clue who I was. She didn't know if I was 12. <laughs> she didn't know if I was 35. She didn't know if yeah. I was a pastor. You know, I just, I whispered in her ear. She's laying down. She never sees me. And I kind of like lean back up, sit back in my chair. And she just stops. You know, I'm not trying to embarrass her. I'm not trying to shame her. I'm just saying, hey. That it's this is not helpful to everyone else and when god ministers to the body it's for the edification of the whole and if the edification of the individual is becoming a distraction for the edification right. of the whole then we need right. to address that issue that's that's literally what the tongues conversation in first corinthians 14 is about well you're being edified sure but your edification is now a stumbling block for an unbeliever who thinks you're out of yeah. your mind and, yeah. and i think you mentioned this just for a moment when you talked about the great awakenings and edwards this is this is the area when you ask this question to Michael, I'm glad you asked it, reiterated it just this way for me, because this is really what I wanted to talk about is investigation. And I think that the charismatic movement just instantly assumes if you question anything, it means that you don't believe it. It's just not right. the case. Right. I, I want to ask good questions. I want to investigate. First Corinthians 14 says when one prophet speaks, the others are to judge and weigh what's being said. 
right? We're right. to hold to what is good, reject what is yeah. evil. And this idea of discernment has become exclusive to the cessationist heretic hunting community. Mm -hmm. And it's just right. not right. And That's I think right. that the next the next move of integrity and holiness in the charismatic movement is investigating everything. If there's a person laying on the floor screaming uncontrollably, even if it's like not in that moment, like you can, I don't know if that's the Lord or if that's them or if that's a devil. Right. And you go and you talk to them later, that investigation process is necessary. Like you yes. have to, you have to do that follow-up. You have to, what fruit is this bearing in that person's life? Uh, and that, that's right. the advice that Edwards and others in church history would give us. And I think that those are biblical principles to be clear. Like I, I mentioned testing so things, good. making sure things are done in order, like all of those are biblical principles that we have to adopt moving forward. And biblical order that was prescribed by the Holy Spirit does not quench the Holy Spirit. So we've, we've right. got to figure that out too, right? Oh, well, you know, if you, if you tell someone who's screaming or speaking in tongues at the top of their, 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 their mouth, you know, without any interpretation that, that they need to not do that in service, you're quenching the Spirit. No, no, no. Right. I am embracing the commands of the Holy Spirit in Holy right. Scripture. So we got to make sure that those things aren't contradictory. You're hitting um, a, a false parallel that's being made there, Josh, like with uh, where people, they confuse the word order with control. And oh, those two mm -hmm. things are not the same thing. Yep. Uh, and, and then also they confuse discernment with a critical spirit or being mm -hmm. uh, religious. And I, right. I hear... Like there was a comment that we read uh, in a recent podcast we did from a book that's pretty popular where it says, you know, the, the teachers are the modern day Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees yeah. uh, of our day. And so what he's yeah. conflating with is a care for theology, a care for discernment, a care for uh, proper practice and doctrine, confusing that and conflating that with being legalistic. The, the Pharisees, it's not that they cared about doctrine and scripture to such a degree that it was wrong. It's that they cared about those things while at the same time being unwilling to fulfill them themselves. They were hypocrites. Yes. And yes. that's not that's not very parsed out in much of the charismatic literature today, which is really disappointing. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah. such a good point, though. And and I do feel like um, obviously, you know, my commitment, I'm, I'm somebody who does believe in the restoration of the five ministry gifts. Uh, I see them differently than some others. In fact, I heard your recent uh, podcast on the uh, culture of honor book. And I, I really felt strongly in agreement with most of what you guys were sharing. Uh, I feel like the largest or the biggest neglected gift in this season in the five is the teacher gift in the charismatic world. Now, obviously mm. it's not neglected in other places, but it, it certainly is neglected in, in most of the circles that I run in. And mm. um, actually that's one of the reasons I really love the, uh, I love working with some of the guys from Catch the Fires because they actually have better theological foundations than some of the other uh, stronger charismatic movements in this recent season, which I'm impressed mm -hmm. by. But again, you know, yeah. if you look at, let's say, Gordon Fee and his whole understanding of, of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, I mean, he, he actually hits it in terms of the concept of intelligibility. Mm -hmm. And that's where even some of the bizarre, you know, physical manifestations, I would almost think of them as physiological tongues or something, you know, that they, mm -hmm. that they have perhaps some value to the individual, but they have no value to the larger audience. And, and right. if they're showcased in such a way, then obviously they become almost a red herring or a distraction than a, than a, than a facilitation of uh, a spiritual encounter. And so, again, yeah. all these things are important. And that's why I, I appreciate the fact that you guys are wading into this water 
trying to help to navigate and try to help the church navigate this these set of questions. So um, anyway, those are those are great points. Any other thoughts before we move on to another another thought? Just go for it, you guys. Uh, I would you know, say, I, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I one thing that I, I've come across is that when we talk about word and spirit, everybody claims to be word and spirit. Because for yes. them, word and spirit simply means I believe the Bible. Um, but what you talked about, uh, Michael, was that the teaching gift is the most neglected. By, by teaching, we're talking about expositing the scripture. We're not yes. talking about somebody stands up on a stage every Sunday morning and gives a message. Yeah, that may or may not be biblical teaching. Um, right. But it, And, of course, it's not just the charismatics who have in many ways, ab abandoned the teaching gift. It's also, I think, some in the seeker-sensitive movement and some, right. and, you know, it, sure. just in 21st uh, century evangelicalism, uh, sermons have become TED Talks. And exactly, uh, yeah. instead of preaching the full it's counsel the of God, yeah, yeah, instead of the full counsel of God, it's kind of like, oh, blasphemy of the spirit. That's kind of a drag for a Sunday morning. Let's just skip that part <laughs> and go to the... Exactly, like, yeah. And, and so... I, I just I, I think it's a uh, an issue that's broader than charismaticism, but charismaticism seems to double down on it, such as the book Culture of Honor, that goes so far as to demonize teachers, and that's just the wrong yeah. approach. And um, and so coming back to the statement that altered like word and spirit is not just I believe that the Bible is true, because that's right. true of every right. evangelical. Um, it. It is rather a, an emphasis upon, and it even comes down to what I would define as a gospel centrality. Our emphasis is upon God, God's words, and God's works, not man, yes. man's words, and man's works. Yes. And that's what I see too much of, again, not just charismaticism, but in charismaticism, it's, uh, there is this emphasis on uh, not not the word of God, because, well, that's just kind of a drag and right. Um, right. just sort of this human experience of manifestation. And I'm right. all for manifestation. Even what I said sure. earlier about the Toronto blessing, I completely right. believe it was a work of God. And to whatever Absolutely. degree it was, you know, maybe could have every revival can be corrected. Right. Um, all of them. But uh, but I, I just think that um, charismatics. They, they err when they think they're word and spirit just because they believe the Bible. Uh, no, there I needs to be an actual that. emphasis upon the word of God in our gatherings. There, there just needs yeah. to be, and then beyond our gatherings too. No, I absolutely agree with you. And that's where, you know, again, I happen to be located at a wonderful church that I love a lot. Um, you know, I'm actually moving very shortly, but uh, I'm at Bethel Church in Redding, California. I've taught in their schools. I've taught on church leadership and church planting and so forth, and also on theology and, and scripture. And so I've done a lot of uh, expository teaching here. And, uh, and that's one of the things that we've all identified is that there's been, uh, I'd say, uh, a lack of emphasis on the teacher gift and its impact in the students we're training. Now, again, they don't mm -hmm. claim to be a Bible school. They claim to be a school of supernatural ministry, and mm -hmm. they normally deliver on that. But at the same time, we're also seeing some, you know, secondary negative fruit from the lack of the authority of Scripture being uh, central. And, uh, I, and the, I, the relationship... I almost want to push on that, if you would let me, Michael, yeah. on, yeah, on the supernatural ministry, as if teaching is less supernatural than prophecy 
or anything else. Like that's, that's the disconnection is that we think that teaching is less supernatural. I just, I don't think that it is. And I I, respectfully, and I think you agree. um, Right. But I think that's But if we're going, but if we're going by vocabulary words, I think the way Bethel is using that school of supernatural ministry means learn how to do signs and wonders, which is, um, which has its place. And we're in favor of that kind of training, but I, I think we're all in agreement though. But that's absolutely right on, Josh, is that the, the, the five, each of the five <laughs> aspects of Christ represented in his church must be Holy Spirit driven. They must mm-hmm. be expressions of the presence and power of God for them to be legitimate. And so absolutely the teacher gift has, is abs- absolutely um, a supernatural reality. And they the, just don't the treat it that way. <laughs> and the power of the word of God to, to transform our lives. You know, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is such an absolutely essential element. And again, we, but, you know, we always tend to pendulum swing. And that's kind of the, you know, the unfortunate aspect of, of our, our nature is that we, we tend to, you know, react to the last thing by overreacting in the other direction. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm feeling like why, you know, and this is what I'm hoping, you know, the f- future of your guys' ministry will bring to the body of Christ is that sense of like, can we settle? in the centrality of Christ with all five of those aspects being represented fully and um, dynamically. Amen. Amen. So, Amen. Uh, and more. without, could we add maybe without a hierarchical structure that places a single apostle at, at, or apostles and prophets as elder bosses? Yeah. <laughs> not well, not I mean, that they would, not that they would ever say it so crassly, Right. But in practicality, the way it plays out, I I would say that's true. And in fact, when when teachers and pastors are put on the low end of the totem pole as essentially the problems, whereas Paul says in First Timothy five, the elders are to direct the affairs of the church. And what do elders do? They, according to First Timothy three, uh, and and two for that matter, they pastor and they teach. So it's an elevation of apostle and prophet above the elders of the church. And at least in the culture of honor book, as well as in many charismatic expressions, the apostles and prophets become the bosses because they have the intel on heaven. All that kind of talk, I think, is uh, extremely dangerous and extremely unbiblical. Yeah. And I hear what you're saying there. Um, Again, I, you know, when I listened to your guys' podcast on that subject, like I thought, you know what? I mostly agree with what you're saying. First of all, let me just say this. In my early training, when I was in the mid-70s, I was part of a movement that was trying to discover or rediscover the restoration of the fivefold at that time. And that was, you know, kind of a derivative of the latter arraignment, which went a little bit off the rails. But these guys were doing their best to try to understand it, but they almost entirely put it in the realm of government. And mm-hmm. I, I just don't see the fivefold ministry as govern- governing at all. I don't I, see, I don't see there being a rediscovery either. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's probably a, I, a, a bad. That's were, a Rick Joyner uh, quote from the his apostolic ministry, this idea right. that we've rediscovered the prophetic in the 80s, and now right. the apostolic ministry is being rediscovered. I, no, I just I don't that. see that as historically accurate. And, and I'm not trying to say that it was never understood for the last 1,800 years, and finally somebody came up with yeah. it. No. Please hear me clearly, but there was, there was yeah. a, an experimental process of re-implementation. Let's put it that way. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that they, they got some things right and they got some things wrong. But one of the mm-hmm. things I thought was mostly wrong was the issue of making these all about governing. Mm-hmm. And, and so even the hierarchical dynamic that came out of that and then even bled into the, uh, the book that, that Peter Wagner wrote on the New yeah. Apostolic Reformation and, and Churchquake and those books, I felt like was actually an overemphasis on the governing aspect and not on the equipping aspect. Which I believe verse yeah. twelve is the most important verse in that passage from you know Ephesians four, seven through sixteen. It's verse twelve. And if that's mm-hmm. not happening, verse eleven is irrelevant. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And so, I totally agree. We agree. <laughs> so, yeah. so how do we do that? How do we bring it in? But then also the you know, Ephesians two twenty, though I heard you guys, one of you guys commented on that and said, Well, I think that only has to do with the with the uh, dispute over Gentile salvation. And I don't quite see it like that. I think that it certainly has to do with the you know Gentile salvation, but I think there's something beyond that that is also being referenced there. Your thoughts on that? Maybe round oh, sure. Uh, yeah, because I was the one who said that. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, so Ephesians 2.20, you mind if I bust out a Bible real fast? Sure, I know you it, don't mind because you're so <laughs> word and spirit. I don't know, man. We're, yeah. we're kind of leaning <laughs> let's, spirit. Let's not, get, let's not get crazy <laughs> here. Okay, yes. so Ephesians 2.20, um, he's just finished talking about Jew and Gentile. We're all one with a brand new man. We're a new temple, all these things. Uh, fellow citizens of the household of God, which would have been different from how uh, – uh, anyone imagined it because he's, he's about to call it a mystery. So right. it, the, the prophets talk about Gentile inclusion, but it was always thought that like, well, Jews are going to be kind of center of the world and Gentiles. Well, they can kind of live on the periphery and be God worshipers, exactly. God fearers. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then Christ comes along and the apostles and it's like, Oh, this, so this new revelation to apostles and prophets. Oh, okay. It's not just like you get to live on the fringe of Jewish glory. Uh, no, yeah. you're actually right at the center. So, yeah, new um, man, new man. right. Yeah. So he's, so he's, that's his context. We're saying built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And then, um, verse five of chapter three, he's going to go on and talk about the stewardship of God's grace given to me. Uh, I'll start in verse three, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. So Paul as an apostle slash and, uh, and prophet for that matter, He's received this revelation of a mystery. As I, was, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery okay. is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So I, I take it as... Um, because of the link where he's talked about apostles and prophets in three, five, and he talks about apostles and prophets in two twenty, I take that as enough of a link to say when Paul talks about them as, as being the foundation with Christ as their cornerstone, their foundational role is bringing that revelation. That's how I would understand it. Um, yeah. I'm not calling you a heretic, though. So yeah. that's a, <laughs> I'd love to hear. Go ahead. Feel that's free to to push back. But yeah, that's um, also I think a the, direct reference the proxi- to Acts 15. I'm sorry, to What's Acts that? 15. It was a direct mm-hmm. reference to Acts 15 because you know the apostles and elders came together to to get to you know address this dispute, and then they sent out uh, Silas and Judas, who themselves were prophets. It says later in Acts 15 to confirm mm-hmm. the word. 
So there was a, certainly a role of the apostles and prophets in the determination of that reality. But, mm -hmm. and again, I know you guys have a slightly different perspective on, on, uh, on 1228 of uh, 1 Corinthians, but, but there is some, um, I don't think it's a hierarchy, but I think there is some sort of primary designation of the apostolic prophetic role. Okay. Me, I would agree I with that. Question that I think might bridge the, the gap, because I think Roundtree, if, if someone was a charismatic and they were saying, I believe apostles and prophets have a unique role in the establishment of churches and in the local church, um, you might say, you know, I kind of disagree with that, but I, it's not enough for me to make any stink about it. Like it's right. a minor disagreement as long as that foundation that is being laid is being built upon the historic biblical foundation and is not exceeding it. Right. Like right. if you start looking at apostles and prophets as laying all the new foundations and therefore we're going to invent new practices, we're going to invent new yeah, doctrines, new truths, new, new truths, truths is a big it's a language that's been quoted right. by Holly uh, Pivik before. So, and so if yeah. if Michael is saying Michael Berteau is saying, hey, or Brodeur, I, I called you Bertor, Broter, Broder, I'll just stick with Broder and not tell you what I tried you to just say, you Michael. Right. No, yeah, say so, this. Well, OK, you know, all my words. If you want to pronounce my name, let me just give you this. I'm a bro who's a doer of the word. Gotcha. Hey, okay. hey. It's so good. Michael Brodor, if he was to say, I believe that there is a supernatural grace on apostles and prophets to plant churches and or to, to help empower the local church in a special and unique way that's really important, Michael Roundtree could do ministry with Michael Brodor without skipping a beat. We wouldn't have yeah. a problem. We'd be able Absolutely. to co-labor together. We might disagree on little nuances. It's the problem yeah. is when people say, I believe apostles and prophets have a unique place and then make that into something that is extra biblical. That's really yeah. where we're throwing a flag on the play. Is that is and that, that, and that, that is the playbook that we've seen in, in Culture of Honor. Yes. I mean, it really is saying that they have to go and get something new from heaven as opposed to something historic. And, and right. so the the uh, common hold on one second the common verbiage is what is what we disagree with, um, right. and sorry, I understand gonna... that, and I understand the the hype dimension of that as well that you guys were concerned about as well. Like, oh, it's a new thing; it's it's been hidden and now it's revealed, and you know that I I totally get that, and I and I and I want to say I'm in agreement with your concern about that because that does, I mean, unfortunately, it is part of that pendulum swing reality. That whenever we discover mm -hmm. something, we think, aha, you know, mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're the exclusive uh, curators of some new revelation that had never been before. And that's just ridiculous. And that honestly is, um, I think it is dangerous to the extent that it can fuel an elitism, which mm -hmm. is, I think, completely contrary to the gospel of Jesus, you know. And so I, yeah. I absolutely agree with you guys on that point. And so, yeah, no, and I, th but I do think that. And that's where I would totally agree with you guys. Go on, Michael. Oh, I was going to say, so I, if you clarify for me, what is your point of potential disagreement? Um, I do believe that there is a unique role to those two giftings as it relates to the establishment of churches. And let me give you some text on that. That would be, you know, uh, I would Paul agree with you on that. The, okay, good. Yeah. To the Roman church. I, I wanted to come to you at verse 11 that I... Oh, chapter one, verse 11, that I might impart a spiritual gift to you to the end that you might be established. There was something unique about that, that, that Paul carried as an apostolic leader. I think probably the clearest example of that would be 1 Corinthians 3, where mm -hmm. obviously he's pulling rank 
even above the elders of Corinth, to be able to say, I'm a wise master builder. I've laid the foundation of this church and I insist upon a certain level of compliance with my expectations, my blueprint mm -hmm. that I brought to this church. And, and obviously we talk about wood, hay and stubble, you know, gold, silver, precious jewels. But the fact is, is he wasn't talking about personal discipleship there. He was talking about building the local church of Jesus Christ. And that's where mm -hmm. he ends up in verse 17 at the very end of the chat of the passage. And so what Would we're you... seeing is we're seeing an illustration Sorry. of the of one aspect of the apostolic ministry. Right. In that passage. What do you guys think? Would of you that? say that, that that passage though, when Paul is referring to his own ministry in the Corinthian church, he's also of the apostle, like when, when we think of him as an apostle, I wouldn't think of him in the same way that I would think of uh, others that are sent out as missionaries. Right. Um, I, I have a hard time with that as an idea um, only because I wouldn't put that kind of authority on random missionaries, especially once elders are established in a church. M Miller, you're uh, asking okay. the difference between the 12 like is is paul pulling rank as one well, of the 12 disciples of the lamb rather than just apostles of right the church? well yeah, i well, think what complicates this is paul was kind of like a 13th right like yeah. there were lots the of fifth beetle there there was there were other <laughs> apostles but That's paul seemed to be um he seemed to be kind of in in terms of his authority in the church you know hey you're entrusted with the gentiles we'll take the jews like i i see why it's an issue and um yeah. So, Michael, when it so what you are touching on is a hierarchical component, and I don't think that hierarchy is what First Corinthians twelve is talking about when he says first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Yeah. Uh, I I don't I think that it is priority, and so that's why I, when you say apostles and prophets have a special place, I would agree with you. Uh, even when he talks about the charismata of uh, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. I, I think that there is a special way in which apostles and prophets can build up the church. Although I think that's different from saying they have authority. I think the yeah, thing to wrestle with in the hierarchy side of things is that, okay, on, on one hand, we, I think would all agree. And this is to Michael's point, Paul seemed to be unique among apostles. Um, not, I mean, he seemed to be categorically close to the 12, not the precise same, you know, his, Paul's name isn't written on the foundation stones of the new Jerusalem, exactly. but, yeah. but Paul carried a, a special weight of authority and, and seemed to be really the one spearheading this new man revelation, uh, yes. alongside a circle of others. When but, he, he gets um, a qualification that singles him out from others as well. Like I saw the risen Lord. I mean, that claim yeah. is different than other apostles today. Uh, right. in, in, right. become English, but, get apostolic succession. This will be way easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, again, yeah. Like, I mean, there's so much on this particular topic that I feel like needs to be explored, but I think the discussion, the, the conversation needs to be had. And this is why mm -hmm. I feel like you know, I, I'm grateful for you guys yeah. engaging. Seriously. Yeah. Well, here's, here's one more thing that I think I would say, Michael. Sure. One ahead. more thing. Cause I think as we just kind of get to the little, like boots on the ground of this, Okay, yes. because I, I think that your position can be defended, that someone at the position of apostle um, at least has some kind of authority. I think that can be defended yeah. without going to the place of everyone, like Ephesians 4.11 is all about authority. I, I don't exactly. think we have to... When you like, say so authority, I, do you, you don't mean ecclesiological. You mean well, in gift. Uh, well, well, you're talking let, me, let me go to that place for a second. Yeah. So... Um, 
let's take my so i've mentored a uh, a missionary in a country that uh anyway like it's it's a country that's red on the joshua project map okay and um he's planted tens of thousands of churches he wow. has an authority with i mean it's through discipleship so generations yeah. deep kind of deal but sure. um he has an authority with those churches that's inherent and natural because it's relational because he yes. fathered them. Um, and so I think, you know, even when Paul is saying, okay, well, you know, you're the seal of my apostleship because like, basically I'm your father. I mean, this is the kind right. of language he uses with the Corinthians. Yes, directly, yeah. Um, yeah. And so, I, I think that there is something to be said for somebody who is a pioneer missionary like the Apostle Paul. They raise up elders, and I'm open to that kind of conversation. I, I do get nervous about a single person bossing the plurality of eldership, but yeah. I can see like it's just a conversation that needs to be had, and I don't know quite what I would say on that. I welcome well, you guys. But the other thing but I, I think what I'm uncomfortable with, let me just state what I'm uncomfortable with, Sure, is an established church with elders that an apostle had no actual pioneering responsibility for, that it's, it's really more like, uh, almost like just a new Episcopal structure that we're calling apostolic, of like, okay, let's just call this a network, and then, okay, well, I'm over these churches, and I didn't really pioneer them, I didn't really follow them, they don't know who I am, but okay. And it's like where you're having to follow a flow chart uh, to me, that's just uh, th that ain't yeah. it. So that's what I'm uncomfortable with. And where that leadership is politically instituted rather than relationally earned. Yes, that. Yeah, because that goes back to what you were just saying, which I think and is what qualifies as relationally earned. That's another thing is Michael is saying that's that right. just because you have a friendship with somebody who's claiming apostolic authority doesn't mean that that person did the pioneering work of planting that church. Exactly. Yeah. Or it's just the same as, you know, one husband doesn't have authority over every single wife of a different husband. In other words, <laughs> you know, Paul talks right. about that when he, when he talks about his Metron. He said, I may not be mm -hmm. an apostle to others, but I am an apostle to you guys. That's a good one. Yeah. And I yeah. think that yeah. that's, that's really what we're talking about here. And so, no, I think we're in mostly in agreement on this whole issue. But let's move on because we're going to have to kind of wrap up in a second. Michael, sure. first, you have something? add before we close this, this I, you know i was going to go back to the the 19 uh like the last 50 years one of the things that we when it comes to establishing where we're going to go or where we're headed um culture needs to be considered because the landscape mm. today versus the landscape for the last 300 years of american history has never been so hostile to christianity in general i mean yeah. 20 years ago if you said you were a pastor or a christian people would you know they would stop cussing around you they would be like oh right. i'm so sorry right Today, that's not the case. Today, yeah. if you are a pastor or if you're a Christian, you're looked down on as though you're, you know, you're some sort of ancient, mythic, weird thing, um, an anomaly of our culture. And so I don't know if you can really predict much about where the church is headed when it comes to word and spirit without taking into consideration the fact that we, we may be on the losing end of culture here. We may be wow. considered uh, a persecuted people here really soon. And I don't know how we can ignore that. And the kind of disputes we get in are actually, pro people would say they wouldn't matter. I would say they're going to matter all the more. 
wow. because when you're a persecuted people group, you actually need to have some really clear definitions because you're going to be protecting one another with everything. Yeah, when there's there's uh, nothing but house churches left, people are going to be asking some serious ecclesiology questions. And right now, the average yes. layperson is like, well, ecclesiology is something that my pastor can worry about. That's not my problem. It's like, yeah, but when you're you're the one responsible for your home church, it's going to matter then. <laughs> That's so, yeah, so right. Got to consider those things is all I'm saying. No, I think Miller, that's an incredible thought because, you know, actually I've been reading Jeremiah. Literally, I'm towards the end of Jeremiah right now. And the whole reality of Israel at that moment was go into Babylon and build your houses and marry your sons and daughters. You know, in other words, like he was he was teaching them how to live in a hostile environment and how to prosper in the midst of that. And I, I just kept thinking as I was reading it. Wow, we might be approaching that moment that you're well, talking I think about. We're right we're now. we're about to be conquered by Babylon first. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think hey, you're right, and I think I think the question there is is, and this is kind of the final question I wanted to really run by you guys. So maybe a two minute summary from each of you would be awesome. But where do you see us going? Like, uh, obviously, let's 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 presuppose that things are going to get a little bit more challenging as it relates to our relationship with culture. How do you see this whole question of word and spirit manifesting the fullness of Christ in the coming season? Man, there's so much to Josh, this. it's been a, uh, I feel like we've heard less from you, Josh. Why don't you start? Yeah. yeah. I think the charismatic movement is poised for the greatest revival and the greatest deception that we've ever experienced in human history. I think we've wow. made pop culture Christianity out of charismaticism so popular that um, it's become watered down to the point where witchcraft can coexist with charismaticism. And that is an abomination. It's, it's horrifying to the heart of God and it should grieve the heart of the church. And I think if we would grow a backbone, the charismatic church will be poised to be the greatest revival we've ever seen in human history because the message is touching lives all across the globe. It's, it's that spine I think we need. Um, and if, and if we grow a spine, if we, if we say, Hey, I know you're saying this, but I'm going to, I'm going to plant my feet in the ground and say, I think this is what the Bible says. Um, I, I think that's going to be, uh, that's going to be the plumb line for the movement. So I, I, I'm extremely excited, um, in, in that Daniel, you, Jeremiah, you know, prophesies this great taking away of, of Babylon, but Daniel instantly gets instant influence amongst the Kings. And I do think that there are going to be people who are committed to staying faithful and, and those charismatics um, are going to maintain influence just like Daniel did. And, and God will never forsake his people. This isn't fear mode. We shouldn't run and be scared of Babylon by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but we do have to wake up to the reality of where we're at today um, and just uh, and to be faithful before we, uh, this is a quote that I, I said in a sermon recently, but we can't let our aim for greatness prevent us from doing what's good. Um, wow. And I, I think, I think we just, we want to see great charismatic expressions, but we often shoot for greatness and miss the good. So those are my thoughts. Wow. Mm. That is excellent. Quotable. Yeah. Um, man, I, I just have so many thoughts, hard to put them together, but I, I, I think one thing I see God leveraging technology and in, in this next move of the spirit. And I believe there is one, uh, you know, you look at the Protestant Reformation and it greatly 
benefited by the Gutenberg press. Well, we're living through the greatest communication shift in 500 years. I can't imagine God wouldn't use it. And that's actually what led me to start exploring the podcast space before uh, I hopped on with Remnant Radio. And uh, I think that's part of it. And I, I think it's going to be a part of how God begins equipping his saints all around the world. Uh, even on our Remnant e-course, we have people from Turkey and uh, Australia. I mean, just, I don't know, mm-hmm. probably 30 countries yeah. uh, well, represented in our e-course. Um, but I, I see God doing that. It and, might even uh, be generous, Michael, but, but thir- 30, 30 is definitely too many. Maybe three. Too many okay. countries. I just want to... Okay. That was yeah, that was uh, for well, transparency. No, let's be, let's be I, truthful. I I've just seen yeah. a long list and I never counted it. Yeah, <laughs> so it's, it's a good yeah. whatever. Yeah. So um, anyway, a lot of a lot of countries represent. Or if you look at just the podcast and its reach, uh, you know, it's a lot. And then, not that it's about us. It's the same could be for Mike Winger's channel or lots of others. And uh, I feel like technology is going to be a part of it. And I feel like what I mean, what I see is pastors and elders are looking for how do I do the stuff? I think um, they're, they're tired of just reading books about it. And so I, I think some of those in the functional cessationist camp are really kind of getting fed up with functional cessationism where they like technically believe in the gifts, but don't do anything about it. And I see, sure. a, I see leadership rising up and beginning to move in that. And I'm just talking from the Western church perspective because the global center of Christianity has moved South. Uh, oh, so the rest true. of the world, the rest of the world gets it. We don't. And I, yeah. I hope American Christians can take a little bit of like, I don't know, maybe take a bite out of some humble pie. Like maybe exactly. we don't know everything. And um, yes. maybe rather than being the biblical Israel, we're more like the biblical Babylon. And, oh, totally. I, and so I, no, I just think, that. yeah, yeah. So I just, uh, I, I think let's learn from our brothers and sisters around the world. And I think God's going to start using technology to connect us more, to weed out some of the trash. But I agree with Josh. I think the trash is going to continue to mount. And I think God's going to also do something beautiful simultaneously. That's awesome. I would, uh, I'm going to add one more thing to this just because I think this all relates when it comes to the use of technology. I think what God has already done has begun in a great exposition You've got Remnant Radio calling out charismatic abuses. You've got the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast calling yeah. out toxicity in church, church culture as well as uh, mm. narcissism. And yeah. the whistleblowers are getting louder. The whistleblowers are actually being heard. Uh, and the church is actually being refined. Um, people are coming more and more aware of what healthy church is and what it isn't. And so uh, all of this stuff is being exposed. And it's been, I mean, it's been really dramatically exposed over the last 15 years. There's a That's reason right. why the world looks at the church and thinks, oh, you're a Christian? Well, it's because, to be fair, they've got some good accusations against us. Exactly. Um, yeah. The abuses that we've been committing in the church are prolific, and they're really bad. And yeah. I think God has done a number to use technology to expose these things. And that's only going to make us more purified and holy we need exposition. We, we need to be exposed and our sins to be laid bare so that we can look mm-hmm. at it and go, what have I done? And now what must I do to make it right? And yes. so my hope is that the next step is what can I do to make it right? That's good. Yes, that's so good. Well, I think even in that, you know, I just want to see that level of humility, but I don't want to see the kind of the, the cynical, um, you know, 
accusatory side of this you know in other words i how do we how do we find that place of let's call it the the galatians 6 1 process of recognizing our failure our, our weakness our sinfulness and our brokenness and yet approaching it in a in a, a spirit of gentleness so we can actually see true restoration take place. I think that's where you guys kind of hit that mark really well. So thank you so much for being on this podcast. I'm so appreciative. I feel so honored that you guys would even take the time to be with us. Anytime, We're a small man. fish in the big ocean of this uh, endeavor. But um, honestly, I, I just, uh, I feel like I have also along with you, Roundtree, I have all these thoughts. Like I just want to keep going on this conversation. But anyway, yeah. Can I just have uh, maybe maybe Josh? Can you just pray for all of us as we close this time, that God yeah. would just grant us that clarity, that humility, that sense of of passion to pursue, but the awareness to be able to to respond to the Holy Spirit as we pursue and to be humble before the Word of God. So go for yeah. it. Amen. Yeah, Father, um, we 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 know in part and we see in part. Right? We we don't really understand. Um, how revival works or, or when your outpourings come um, we just know that you do them and you do them sovereignly and you do them with you know healthy people you do them with broken people and and i'm just i'm thankful um that you're not waiting for me to be perfect before you pour out your spirit because uh i'd never be there and uh and we're just indebted to you and we don't deserve it and yet you've, you've called us sons and daughters you've you adopted us as your own and uh, our identity as saints uh, is not merited but it's inherited by you so I just, I ask that we could live in that reality. Um, and then from, from sonship, just begin to walk in a manner worthy that you've called us in. To yeah, earnestly yeah. desire spiritual gifts, to pursue the supernatural, but, but simultaneously um, testing everything. To hold what is good and cling, cling to what is good and reject what is evil. Give us wisdom on how to discern your will uh, in this season. We want to be gentle as we confront error. Uh, we want to be long-suffering and and charitable with those we disagree with, uh, while while simultaneously striving for truth. Let us yes. strive uh, for the bond of peace, like we strive for truth. Uh, and Lord, just give us a zeal to push forward, be eager and wise, um, but all the more, all the more, listening to to those we disagree with, um, and not not posturing ourselves as the expert, um, but but being humble in everything we do. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 Well, thank you guys. And thank you all for who have tuned into this and also in the archives. We're, we're uh, happy to be able to have these discussions in a way that hopefully will edify you and bring us all closer and closer to Jesus. So God bless you guys. We're going to sign off now. Take care. <laughs>